Chapter 14 of The Mystery of the Woods Part 2 by W. H. H. Murray This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 14 It was well on towards evening, for while the sun had not yet set, its orb had already declined below the summit of the mountain that rose sharply from the western shore of the lake. The water was without a ripple, and in its monstrous bulk was reflected, as in a mirror large enough to accommodate without shrinking its huge proportions. The trapper, Herbert, and the detective were standing on the shore of the lake, engaged in earnest conversation. "'I'll allow,' said the trapper, "'that I'm a good deal disappointed, as I know ye be, Mr. Carson, and not finding a girl in the tent, and I can see that Henry himself feels a little unsettled, like a hound when he suddenly has lost every trace of the scent that was strong in his nostrils. For though he don't say much, I can see that the boy will be worried. Yes, I'll allow I'm a good deal disappointed, for I certainly thought the girl was behind the curtain. And when the man put his face out in sight, it was like a sudden uncovering of an ambushment, when you didn't expect the enemy was nigh, but I don't see how you stood the shock of the surprise as you did, John Norton said the detective, interrupting him. You never changed a muscle in your face, and I think mine was white as chalk. I'll admit I could scarcely stand. I was as certain as I am this minute that I'm alive, that the girl was behind the curtain, and when that face with its white beard was thrust out, it nearly took the breath out of me. Nerves be nerves, said the trapper, and nothing but training gets the shaking out of them. Lord, I can remember when the snapping of a twig in the woods would make my heart jump again the ribs like a hammer. The years of camping and trailing and trapping, and I might say a little fighting throwed in off and on, both by day and night, has took the shaking and the thumping out of me, and made me steady-like. I don't conceit that anything can disturb me overmuch, unless it be the failing of a cap when there's no meat in the cabin and the buck is a fatten. That certainly does make a man feel empty-like and shaky in his stomach. But what shall we do about the girl? We've certainly found out what is in the big tent. But the girl that ought to be in it isn't there. And the question is, where is she? Shall we give it up, Mr. Carson? Never, exclaimed the detective. Never while God gives me breath will I give up the search till I find her or find her body and the detective closed his sentence with a voice that shook with the strength of his emotion. "'I conceded you would say as much,' responded the trapper. "'And you've answered like a man, but you'll stand little chance of finding her in the woods unless you have help. For the settlements be one thing and the wilderness be another. And a man of city training, though he be wise in his way, is no better than a babe when the search lies in the woods and on the rivers where the path is on waters that leave no trail.' And so I ask you, Henry, for it's well in a council that the points be made clear to each one. I ask you, Henry, what course will you take, and what will you be willing to do? The girl must be found, that was all the young man said. You have spoken well, Henry, answered the trapper. I didn't ask you the question because I doubted what you would say, but because it was according to reason and form of conducting a council that the question be put to you. And it's certainly pleasant to hear the tongue of a friend and a comrade speak out his feelings when feelings be right. And so, as we three be agreed that the girl must be found, we need say no more about it. It is all very well, said the detective, 
to say that the girl must be found, but that doesn't find her, nor do I see any way by which her whereabouts can be discovered. And he spoke in the tone of despondency. Hoot, boy, said the trapper. You speak out of your feelings and not out of your judgment when you talk in that fashion. I've heard you say that nothing can be hidden so in the settlements that you cannot find it out. And I concede it is so, for I certainly doubt if one can be hidden in these woods, from the Horicon to the cleared farms on the St. Lawrence, that I can't set my eyes on. If you give me a rational amount of time, and especially if Henry be thrown in as a companion, for the boy has his gifts, and it is on the trail as it is in a council, two heads be better than one. I and two rifles, too, if it comes to close work, and the trail terminates in a scrimmage. And as Henry says a girl must be found, it settles that he is to go with me. So I give you the word of a scout, Mr. Carson, whose eye has never failed to find what he started to find, since he struck out the west of the Horicon night on the fifty year agone, that if you give us a rational amount of time, Henry and me will find the girl. And now I will ask you a few questions, and I must ask you to answer carefully, for the direction of the search and the reason of it will depend on your answers. Say on, said the detective. You be sure that the girls with the vagabonds that owned this camp when they came to Indian carry. I am, answered the detective. And why you be sure of it, asked the trapper. Because I saw the imprint of her shoe on the carry, was the answer. Which end of the carry, asked the trapper. At both ends responded the detective. I noted it closely, and the last step she took was as she got into the boat, and the mark was deep and strong in the sands of the beach. Such signs, responded the trapper, can't lie. If you did see the girl's footstep on the beach at the southern end of the carry, then the girl be in the woods, and there is little credit in foretelling what directions the vagabonds that had her took her arter they left the beach where you saw her footsteps. "'Where did they take her?' asked the detective, and he spoke with quick, earnest emphasis. "'They took her to the west,' answered the trapper promptly, "'and I asked Henry to follow the reason of my saying. "'They came through the three ponds and down the creek without a stun, "'till they struck the raquette. "'To this point the vagabonds kept each other company, "'but at this point they parted, "'and part of them come up the raquette and pitched their camp here.' with a man who calls himself the man that nobody knows. The other party went down the racket with the girl. Where is she now, then, John Norton? asked the detective sharply. She be in the western woods, answered the trapper promptly, and he swept his hand up toward the summit of the mountain that stood between him and the setting sun. For several moments the three men remained silent. Then the trapper said, Henry, be I right? What do you say? The girl is to the west, answered the young man. Two voices in a council of three settles it, answered the trapper. Mr. Carson, the boy isn't wordy, but ye see that he and me think alike. The girl you be looking for is over here by the west. You may be certain of that. Well, Henry, what is it? A look on the young man's face had elicited the interrogation. The young man hesitated a moment and glanced at the detective. "'Say it out, boy, say it out,' said the trapper. "'Say out your thought, whatever it be. "'We be in council, and a council where the thought is held back "'is not likely to be noted for wisdom. "'What is it you would say, boy?' "'Why should they take her that way?' 
asked the young man. The old man gazed steadily at the face of his companion, but he made no answer. Whatever was his thought, he didn't speak it. He simply looked at the detective and said, as if speaking to himself, The western woods be a lonely place for certain. A moment's silence. I think the question should be answered, persisted Henry, and so I ask again, and I'll ask it directly of him who knows most of the character of her captors. Mr. Carson, why did they take her into the woods? The detective's face showed rigid in every line. His teeth were set, but the words that came were clearly spoken, and were these. They took the girl there to kill her. I conceded as much, said the trapper, but I doubt if they would do it. They might do it if they was forced to do it, but there be an easier way. I have my thought of the matter, but it needn't be said at this council. The boy and me can talk it over arter we be moving. When shall you start? asked the detective. As soon as we have eaten, answered the trapper. By the time the sun is down, Henry and me can be in motion, and when it comes up, we'll eat our meal sixty mile from where we be standing. The girl be in danger, and there's no time to lose. While the three had been thus engaged in conversation, the Yankee had been, according to his conceptions of duty, even better employed. And as the three turned from the beach, they found that a meal of unusual abundance and extraordinary variety awaited them. The larder of the outlaws was indeed stocked, as seldom one ever was in such a locality. I conceit, said the trappers, they were about to be seated at the table, that our friend in the tent should be asked to join us. For though he don't look like a man that carries a big appetite in his stomach, yet fast and certainly sharpens one's hunger, and I doubt if he has tasted food since the morning. He certainly looks like a man of good breeding, and his bearing is as grand as a general's. And while I trust I know how to show proper respect to my superiors, yet it may be, Henry, that the man would take to ye a little more natural than he would to me and it may be that ye would understand him and his ways, and the way to make him feel that he is welcome better than myself. And so I can see that ye be the one to go and ask the stranger to join us. The meal be abundant, and he is certainly welcome. In accordance with the suggestion, Henry passed up toward the big tent and entered it. In a few moments he returned, accompanied by the man whom nobody knows. The trapper and his companions had remained standing, though the Yankee, who perhaps had not perfectly sensed the propriety of the compliment thus tendered in deference to their unknown guest, had manifested unmistakable anxiety lest the viands which he had, indeed, skillfully prepared should become so cooled as to lose something of their savory quality. "'You be welcome, friend,' said the trapper, who, standing at the head of the table, addressed the stranger as he spoke. "'You be welcome to our table, and we trust our companionship will not disturb you.' And though ye will allow us to say that we was looking for another person, and was unreasonably disappointed in finding ye and not the other one, yet we be glad that we come at the time when ye needed us, and we rejoice that ye have found your liberty. I feel, said the man, that I ought to be grateful to you and your companions, sir, in restoring me as you have to my liberty, though the word means to me less than to others. For though my body has been in bondage to a wicked restraint for twenty years, Yet I myself and the exercises of my mind and my heart have been free. I can remember the time when bodily liberty would have been regarded as the greatest boon, 
and imprisonment as an infliction which included all woes. But now, having lost the sympathies which come from association with my kind, and that interest in human affairs which can only be felt by one who mingles as an actor amid them, and having no one on earth to love, my imprisonment has become so adjusted to my moods, and even my employments, that it does not jar on the one or interrupt the other. I remember my life as a thing of the past, and my memory of it as the memory of one who for twenty years has been dead. But the efforts of yourself and your companions are nobly directed, and though rather by accident than design they resulted in my deliverance, I recognize the generosity of your spirit and the friendliness of your sentiment, and I make my grateful acknowledgment to each of you. And the stranger bowed with a noble inclination of his head to each of his deliverers. And now, he continued, if it be your pleasure, I will join you at your meal. Then he added, It is the first meal I have eaten in company of my kind for twenty years. I have seen many men who had been in affliction, said the trapper as they seated themselves at the table. But I never seed a man afore who could say, speaking with truth, what ye have said, friend. And though it be fur for me to ax ye any questions that I ought not to ax, yet I certainly would like to know what ye have did that would bring upon ye the life ye have led. Your curiosity is natural, old trapper, for so I judge you to be, answered the man, and in reply I would say that the history of my life, if narrated, would fill you with wonder. I have moved in many scenes, continued the man, speaking reflectively, and visited many climes. I have been the companion of the great, have shared their love, and been the object of their envy. The story is too long if I were inclined to tell it, to be told under the circumstances which attend our meeting at this table. I judge, moreover, by what you have said, that you are engaged in searching for one who, like myself, was a captive, and, unlike myself, is a captive still. It may be that I should be able to help you, said the man, and the man looked steadily at the trapper. I've thought of that, said the trapper in reply and it may be, if you will answer a few questions, you can help us in our endeavors. We be looking for a girl that has been stolen from her home, and Mr. Carson here, who was following her trail, is certain that the vagabonds that had her was with the vagabonds that had you, until they struck the raquette, where the crick without a stun enters it. There are things which confirm your judgment, answered the man, for though I was kept closely hidden from the members of the party even, so that my face and even my form while we were journeying was never seen, and so that I could never see any but my immediate keeper, yet I judged by sounds that the party was larger until we came to a certain point than it was afterwards. There is no doubt but that the party divided, and the point at which they divided was distant from this camp less than a day's voyaging. It is as I conceded, Henry, responded the trapper, looking at Herbert, Yes, it certainly is as I conceded. The party divided at the point that I mentioned, and them that had the girl went downstream, and them that had our friend here came upstream. And now I will ask you, friend, if there was any sounds that come to your ears as you journeyed which led you to suspect that the one who was your fellow captive was a woman. Your suspicions are undoubtedly correct, answered the man. 
for though, as I said, I was not permitted to see or be seen, yet my ears were not bandaged, and more than once did I hear the rustling of a woman's dress and the light step of a woman on the carry and in entering the boat. I have no doubt that my fellow captive was a woman, and I trust that he who has brought you to my deliverance, who needed it not, may in his infinite mercy direct you to accomplish the same for her who needs it even as one of her sex needs help in dire extremity. Friend, replied the trapper, I have passed my life on the trail, and I have searched for many that needed to be found, and many of them I have searched for I have discovered. The woman, the sound whose dress and step you heard, was a girl, and the girl was in the hands of her enemies. And Mr. Carson here feels that her enemies was plotting her death. We certainly thought she was in this tent, but she was not. We certainly thought we had found her, but we have not found her. And the search which we thought was ended, we must take up again, for the girl must be found if the trail of our searching runs into the snow of the winter. And now, Mr. Carson, continued the trapper, the plan we should follow be perfectly plain. Ye be an officer of the law, and the vagabonds ye have captured must be delivered to them that have authority to punish. You must take them tomorrow morning and start for the north. James will go with you and help you to guard them on the way. As the boy come in on business and has had little chance to do any trading and has a natural eye for gain, and furthermore, as he has certainly done good service in the interest of the law, I advise you see that he be not a loser for the time he has spent with us and what he has did. I shall certainly remember him myself if the trapping be reasonably good this winter. The night he came to me in the cabin was an unusually lively one, and the boy acted according to his gifts. And whether I be able to send him little or much, he will know that an old man that he helped in a scrimmage when the numbers was again him will remember the help he did for him while he lives. So it's settled that you and James start north with the vagabonds tomorrow. Before you go, you will bury the body that lies in the cabin by the edge of the balsam thicket where he fell. There be some things that he left me to do that must wait till the girl be found. I conceit that our friend here will wish to stay in the tent where we found him. It's certainly comfortable, and the provisions for his living you can see is enough. The pups will stay at the cabin and keep house. When hunger pinches them, they will certainly come to this point, for the dogs be knowing dogs, and they'll see by the smoke of your fire, friend, that a human being's here, and that'll tell them where they'll find food. You'll feed them when they come? I certainly will, responded the man. The dogs shall be well fed. Don't overfeed him, returned the trapper. No, don't overfeed him, for a hound should be got to run well. And if Henry and me be fortnight in finding the girl, and get back in time, the pups must do some running. And now, as we have done with the eating, and the plans be fixed, Henry and me might as well be going, for the sun be down and the darkness be coming on. Come straight to the cabin, Mr. Carson, when you come back, and wait for our coming. I can see the good deal lies between our parting and our meeting. After a few moments spent in exchanging farewells, the trapper and Herbert entered their boat and shoved off into the lake. The parting was of a character not easily to be forgotten by those who remained, or the two that went. Mr. Carson, said the trapper as he turned himself about in the boat where he sat, paddle in hand, have ye anything more to say? Nothing, 
answered the detective with a voice that shook a trifle. Only this. Will a girl be found? The girl will be found, answered the trapper. And as he spoke, he swept his paddle into the water. He took three strokes and stopped. Henry, who was at the oars, imitated his example. And as the boat glided out into the darkness, the trapper turned again in his seat, and with a voice that slightly trembled in turn, said, Friend, take good care of the pups. And then the boat resumed its course. End of chapter 14